Thank you very much. Uh, first of all, I just wanted to say it's been a long time since I've stood on a pulpit and had an opportunity to preach. What did I do wrong last time? Is the question. <laughs> uh, no. Um, in typical Bullock fashion, we're not very good at following instructions. Um, so what I've done is instead of just preaching from one part uh, in Matthew's Gospel, we're going to go straight to Luke. Uh, because uh, if we listen to Matt this morning, and for once I did, Matt, I did listen to you. Okay, yeah, It's probably the first time in, what, 15 years? Um, the passage in Matthew can easily be misinterpreted. So having the option of going to Luke and reading a similar thing there helps us contextualise what's going on in this passage. So uh, first of all, I'd just like to read from Luke. Uh, when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Jesus, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see to it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on the way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to the master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the alleys of the town and bring the poor, the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and make them come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Now, I'm going to throw a bit of a curveball at Tina as well here and say, I'm going to change my order. <laughs> Can you um, jump to slide four, which is Matthew versus Luke? Right. It's fun putting people on back foot. Sorry, Tina. <laughs> No, that's all right. It's my, it's my fault. I've changed, I've changed how I'm doing things. So. All right, perfect. So, if you could bring up the first... How do you use this thing, by the way? Just, just click it and point. Down, up, sideways. That way? Is that, yeah, there we go. There we go. Right, okay, perfect. So, how tiny is that? Can you read it? It is absolutely minute, isn't it? What that basically means is that I've done too much... Okay, and I got a bit carried away because um, I did. I did. I did get carried away. I love this passage. Um, there are a few potholes in it. I'm not getting into predestination because, to be honest, I'm well confused by it, and I don't think I'll do a good job of it. Um, if you want to get into it, read Calvin's Institutes, um, and then once you've done that, tell me what he says because I don't understand a word of that either. Um, so, to begin with, we have. Matthew's focus, right at the beginning of our passage in Matthew, it says, the kingdom of heaven is like. 
So right from the offset in Matthew's Gospel, he is focusing upon explaining what the kingdom of God is looking like. However, when we come to Luke's version of the story, he is focused on where we are within that kingdom. The kingdom is of paramount importance, yes, but the question that starts it all off puts the position of Luke into the mindset of where do we fit within this? The focus of Matthew is on the sun. The wedding banquet is a wedding banquet. It is a king throwing a a party for the sun. So the whole premise is designed around the sun. Whereas in Luke, um, the focus is on the host. It will all make sense, I promise. In both passages... All who are invited are asked to gather. I can't even read that. That is so small. The the best. Okay. In Matthew's Gospel, he says, I have selected the best. I have my fattened calf and my best oxen. The king is offering everything that he has. The best of everything that he's got. Jesus here is is trying to, ah, should I say shame the Pharisees in some way when we get to it later? Or is that going to contradict myself? I don't know. But the, the point is that when this invitation comes and he says, please come to this feast, he's offering everything that he has, the best of what he has got, he is offering to give freely. In Luke's Gospel, he just says it's a great banquet. The implication is still the same. However, Matthew has filled that out a little bit more. Now, Matthew's Gospel takes a bit of a dark turn. And uh, once the people reject the offer to come, the response is that the king sends out his armies and he destroys the people. He destroys the city that they're in. But in Luke's Gospel, the rejection comes with an excuse. But you don't see any violence coming from the king. I think we've probably read different passages. Not not passages, versions. Um, The response of the king is he is enraged and he kills people. It's pretty dark at the moment, but don't worry, there's hope. Um, And in anger, in Luke's Gospel, he invites other people. He replaces those who were supposed to come and replaces them with different people. In Matthew's Gospel again, okay, I'm pointing that way, sorry. There 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 is a conflict between those who are deserving and those who are undeserving. But in Luke's Gospel, the focus turns to the least, to the last, and to the lost. At the end of Matthew's Gospel, we see there's a bit of a wolf amongst the flock, which ends with him being cast out where there's gnashing of teeth and there's darkness. But in Luke's Gospel, this is completely 
absent. You may ask the question as to why. Why does, why does Matthew have such a strong end and why does Luke have nothing? Matthew ends with the lines of that many are invited but few are chosen. And in Luke it ends with that those who rejected it will never, will never have. Now, when we're looking at the comparison of it, it's important to understand the difference between the purpose of the Gospel writers, the purpose of Matthew and the purpose of Luke. Um, I'm going to swing back through all this, back to my original... Oops, Daisy, sorry. This is, this is why you stay on course. Because it gets very confusing. Okay, so, in Matthew's Gospel, the passage falls within Jesus' discourse um, with the Pharisees, which begins with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Um, now, in this, passage, in this set in Matthew's Gospel, uh, there is a lot of discussion in this time between Jesus and the Jews. Now, I'm going to read from um, some of my favourite commentaries because they're really simple and I like simple things. Um, in the preceding seven narratives, Matthew has shown us seven ways in which the kingdom of heaven reserves, sorry, reverses human judgments. The judgment theme uh, has clearly been uh, central, and it will remain so during the next two chapters. Chapters 21 and 22 continue with God's judgment on Israel in and through the kingdom claims amid controversi controversies that form the subject matter of these chapters. Then the section ends, chapters 23 and 24, as have all the other four panels uh, in the Gospel, with the major collection of sayings from the mouth of Jesus. This time, naturally, they bring to a climax the theme of judgment that has dominated this section of the Gospel. Now, why do I focus on that part particularly? Because when we were listening to, uh, to Matt this morning in the preceding uh, parable, we actually gain an understanding that this fight between Jesus and the Pharisees may not be the actual key theme. It's so easy when breezing over this, this section of Matthew's Gospel to perceive that Jesus is in contradiction, is fighting against the Jews, which certainly would be true, as in the, passage, as in the verses leading up to this, Jesus is in the temple, healing, preaching, and being questioned. But before that, it begins with him overturning the money changers' tables, healing people, and causing the Pharisees to be indignant. They question Jesus about where he claims his authority to come from, and he denies them a response. It then follows that the parable of the two sons begins Jesus' judgment against the Pharisees. The false obedient son, sorry, the falsely obedient son is in contrast to that who is obedient. Even after his, his purge of the temple and the money changes, Jesus then says to the Pharisees, even the money changes and the prostitutes will enter the kingdom ahead of you. The parable of the tenants explains how they bring judgment upon themselves 
but how this opens the door for others to enter into the kingdom. So at first reading of, of Matthew, in the context surrounding Matthew, the context is dark. Jesus is speaking out directly against the Pharisees. But is it quite as clear as that? Is it quite as simple as that? Could we really boil it down to, is Jesus pro-Gentile or anti-Jew? Or are we looking at Jesus trying to explain that fellowship is more important than duty, as the Pharisees see it, their obedience to the law, and that the relationship is more important than obligation. And this is where I think it's so important to have a look into Luke's gospel at the same time. In Luke's account of the passage, he places it within his... um, It's not within the passion narrative, as Matthew does. Um, But in Luke's gospel, he's putting it within the wider context of the parables of the kingdom. You've got the parable... Um, of the mustard seed and you've you've got so many other parables that I've forgotten what they are can you believe that so let's read it you've got the the crippled woman healed on the sabbath you've got the parable of the mustard seed and you've got the, the parable of the narrow door Matthew's gospel is orientated towards trying to explain to Jewish people how Jesus is the fulfilment of the law, how Jesus is the Messiah that was promised, and how he is ushering in a new era for the kingdom of God. Luke is a little bit more complicated than that. Now, um, at the beginning of Luke's Gospel, um, it says that he is writing to his his friend Theophilus, I'm going to go with that. It's close enough. Now, contextually, we're not exactly 100% sure who this person is. Um, But what we believe, and what many believe, is that Theophilus was the lawyer who was defending Paul in Rome. Um, Paul Peter in Rome. Um, So Luke's account of the Gospel is primarily designed to try and show to the Romans that the Christians and Peter and Paul and everyone else are not a threat to the kingdom of Rome. So this is why I think Luke's gospel has a far more passive overtone than Matthew's does. I think Luke has a different context. In the previous passages again, when, they, when Jesus is asked about how many people, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And Jesus tells them about the narrow door. Once an owner of a house gets up and, oops, sorry, wrong part. <laughs> uh, he said to them, make every effort to enter through the narrow door because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I don't know you or where you come from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you and you taught in our streets. But he will reply, I don't know you or where you come from. 
away from me, all you evildoers. In the lead up to Luke telling the story of the, parable, of, of the banquet, he's concerned with people. When Jesus is sitting at the Pharisee's house where he tells the story, all the Pharisees are jostling for position. They're trying to get to the head of the table. They want to be at the place of importance. And this is what leads on to the question that's, that's blessed is the man who will eat and feast at the kingdom of God, which is why Jesus brings up this story now. I think with Luke, these contrasts are playing out to tell a story. And I think that story is explained as you go through the rest of Luke's gospel. The preceding parts of Luke begin with the cost of being a disciple. You've got the parable of the lost sheep, the parable of the lost coin, the parable of the lost son. Luke here is trying to paint a picture of who the master is. The overtones of this passage. In Matthew's Gospel, as we've been seeing, there is a real strong sense of judgment, which harks back to the Old Testament cycle of exile, destruction, exile, destruction, and periods of getting along with the Lord and periods of not doing so well. But in Luke, the scandal of his telling of the story is the scandal of conclusion. You see, in Luke's Gospel, Jesus, when he was rejected at Nazareth, says these words, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. You see, Luke has turned his story into a story of acceptance, a story of inclusion. This kingdom that we are looking into, this kingdom that we are seeing, is a kingdom where God is going to welcome in the weakest, the lowest, and the least. It's the liberation of the lesser. In Matthew's Gospel, it says, go out into the streets and bring in the good and the bad. And in Luke's Gospel, it says, go out and bring in the poor, the crippled, and the blind. In first century Israel, those who were poor, those who were crippled, those who were blind, that have no status within society. But in Luke's Gospel, he brings this Diversity in, as they all try and jostle for position at the best seat in the house, Jesus says to them, why do you bother? If you humble yourself and sit at the lowest seat, and the master says to you, come, friend, you're worth more than this, and takes you to the seat of honour, are you not exonerated? But if you sit at the highest seat, and then someone more important comes in after you, you will be shamed and pushed down. 
The scandal is that in Luke's telling of this story, that those who were outcast, those who were rejected and forgotten by society, become the most important people in the hall. first shall be last and the last shall be first Luke's gospel also has this, this sense in it as Jesus is speaking that he's wanting his house filled it's not just a matter of ah, it's okay if only a few people come that's good enough for me no, see the thing is with Jesus is Jesus goes out he wants to find everyone and anyone, anyone who will come, anyone who will listen, anyone who will call back upon his name. He wants them in his home. This is the promise that God gives to us, is that he will come for us, he will seek us, he will search for us, and he asks us to come. And the only thing that we have to do is be willing to follow. The only thing we have to do is be willing to enter into this party. Taking the initiative. We, I think, all have friends, all have family members who we endlessly pray for. I wish these people would come to know the Lord. And we pray diligently. We pray daily for these people to come into his kingdom, into his banquet. But sometimes the initiative lies with the person who is called. God changes hearts, God changes minds. Pray for your friends, pray for your family, that they will find the initiative to come calling. Because when they do, he will always answer. Now I love the sound of my own voice, as all my employees will know. But I'm going to be very short, and I'm going to come to a very sudden end, really. But this is the truth of the passage that I think Luke is trying to push us towards that we don't necessarily see as much in Matthew. But he chooses the unworthy and he welcomes the needy. He rejoices in the lost and he redeems the broken. He gives status to those who had none. Into his home, he welcomes you. He pours out his love upon you. He lavishes his gifts. He sacrifices the best of what he has for you. And he asks only that you should come. I think the thing that I have found over the last couple of weeks while trying to think about this and looking at how Luke expands this idea of uh, making excuses I think I find in my own life a lot of the time that I don't have time for God particularly I don't have time to sit down and read my Bible I don't have time to pray I can think up 10,000 reasons as to why I shouldn't do it but every time 
I do open his word and every time I get the opportunity to come to church I find that I'm excited by him. I find that I'm excited by the people he brings here. My challenge to you all is what excuses do you make that you can't go and enjoy the feast? Because I know when reflecting on this, he asked me to come and so often than not, I find an excuse. So what can you do today that's going to take those barriers away, that you're going to find that excitement to come and to feast with him and to feast with his people because he's standing and he's waiting for you. He's calling for you on the streets. Are you going to come?